Hello and welcome to the Professional Motor Mechanic Podcast. I'm your host, Kieran Nee, editor of Professional Motor Mechanic Magazine. September issue of PMM is available at your local factor, so why not pop down there and pick up a free copy? You could bag yourself a free diagnostic tablet or find out more about the great work Mission Motorsport is doing getting ex-servicemen and women into automotive roles. This episode we focus on electrification and the future of mobility. In recent weeks, news about electric charge points being installed has caught our attention. It's probably caught your attention too. It's been reported that Barnet Council is set to receive £1.65 million, which should deliver around 100 public electric vehicle charge points across the borough. Further north, Nottingham has received £2.1 million of funding for charge point infrastructure. At the same time, there are major complaints up in Scotland about the rather slow pace of the rollout from one MP, Liam Kerr. According to a report in pressandjournal.co.uk, Kerr claims it will take 45 years for the Scottish Government to reach its national target if it continues at this slow pace. So what does this all mean for you? Well, this episode you'll hear from Andy Brook, founder of the Automotive Training Academy, who's here to share his thoughts on electric vehicles and how you can respond to their arrival in your workshop. I think we're going to be having a bit of a struggle to buy a diesel car in the next few years. It's really manufacturers are pushing them out. In this episode, you'll also hear from the editor of Professional Motor Factor magazine in our new PMF segment. But first, you and I are going to spend a bit of time with this episode's headline sponsor, Cortico, leading supplier of components to independent garages. You probably buy Cortico products. This flash interview with commercial director Steve Jarnett offers some really useful tips. Okay, let's go and talk to Steve. I'm Steve Jarnett. I'm the commercial director for Cortico, which is part of Freudenberg Sealing Technologies and part of the Freudenberg Group. We have quite a broad portfolio of products that fall into some key segments. So the ceiling one is uh, is for, I'll say, for automotive, but we also do seals for the oil and gas industry. Uh, we also do things for like agricultural, heavy duty, basically anything from a dentist drill right up to a channel tunnel boring machine. Steve, when people think of passenger vehicles, they probably don't immediately think of seals. Tell us how important seals are in a modern vehicle. Well, absolutely critical because if your seals don't work, then you've got, in the worst case, five or six litres of oil on the floor. They play also a key role in other components as well. So the the obvious one would be in relation to your engine and the seals everyone knows in terms of cam and crank seals and valve stem seals. But if you take a lot of other applications within the vehicle, you'll see that they have a seal associated with them as well. So it's not just for the engine, it's for your transmission, a lot of the ancillary drivetrain as well. And can you talk us through the safety element to the ceiling technology. Yeah, so following on from those, let's say, non-engine components, the two key ones would be number one for steering. So within your steering rack, you've got seals in there. And again, that's critical to pressurizing of hydraulic power steering. And then the other one would be uh, for your brakes. So you've got seals within the brake calipers. And again, if, uh, if that fails, then uh, yeah, you've got a bad day. So uh, yeah, pretty crucial safety element as well as the, say, the typical engine one that you'd first think of. And do drivers think about things like this? And is it important for workshop mechanics to educate them on this information? 
it's one of those things it's uh, i would say typically german that they're very very good at making the thing that goes in the thing that goes in the thing and that's why people don't think about seals a lot which is probably a good thing from a marketing perspective it's not ideal because you'd like people to be thinking about seals all day but the fact that our seals a very good track record in terms of quality and safety means that people don't really think about them that often so yeah for sure there's other products which uh, let's say are always more in the spotlight but they're usually in the spotlight more because they tend to fail more often so we're very fortunate being the world's largest manufacturer of this product we have an incredibly good reputation and that's why we have a very strong mix of very high quality and well-known customers people like you know jcb rolls royce to name a few alongside all of the big car manufacturers truck manufacturers agricultural manufacturers and they come to us because they know that they're going to get that level of quality and level of support in terms of innovation or technology design you know because we'll adapt anything to their applications Internal combustion engine vehicles are soon to be replaced by more environmentally friendly vehicles. Does this mean sealing technology won't be as important anymore? And how is Cortico responding to the changing nature of mobility? It does represent a huge change because you know, the internal combustion engine has been a real cash cow for us over the years. But Freudenberg's very adaptable. We started off as a leather company originally. And if it hadn't been for us getting into oil seals in the first place in their very first form, which was actually made out of leather, we would have never got into the rubber technology. So yeah, for sure, sometimes you get change, but that also represents a huge opportunity. I presented this to the IAAF industry briefing that sometimes there's things right under your nose that maybe you didn't realize and suddenly were there, but then suddenly that becomes a really huge opportunity. And we spoke about things like cabin filters as an example, which is a product that we always sold. That's going to become you know more and more relevant as the internal combustion engine dies away. Because even though you won't be changing oil, air and fuel filters anymore, but you're still going to be changing cabin filters. And I've got a lovely picture somewhere of Elon Musk holding up a huge Tesla HEPA filter. So that represents a huge opportunity for us in the future, again, as the world's biggest manufacturer of that product. Yeah, it's a change. But as I say, it's also a huge opportunity as well, as long as you're prepared to grasp it and adapt to those changes. Steve, could you give our listeners some advice on what they should look out for when buying seals? The Cortico brand, for sure. As the world's largest manufacturer, you know that you're going to get the quality, the expertise, the backup, that peace of mind that if you're going to fit a Cortico product, that it's not going to fail on you. And that I'd say critical in a lot of what we do, as we said at the beginning, that no one really thinks about oil seals because in general, they're not a high value item. But where they become really important is if they fail, most of the work associated with fitting that seal as part of usually a bigger job. We spoke about steering racks, or it could be a transmission or an engine. We've taken the whole engine apart and put it back together. And you may have only spent 10, 20 pounds on the seals, but if they fail and you've got to take the whole engine apart again, or the whole transmission apart, all of your costs invested in your labor, not in the part. So it's kind of a false economy just to save a few pence on a seal when you can just pay a little bit more and you know that you're going to get that outstanding quality. You know that you're going to get something that does what it's designed to do. And then, you know, you've got that peace of mind that the job that you've done is uh, is going to be done correctly. You're not going to get any problems. Thank you, Cortico. Good stuff. Now, Freya, what news do you have for us this episode? Good question, Kieran. And hello to all our listeners. I'm Freya, PMM's Deputy Editor and News Editor for the Professional Motor Mechanic Podcast. And here's the news. 
According to research by BookMyGarage.com, electric vehicles have higher MOT failure rates than petrol and hybrid vehicles of the same age. Furthermore, tyres are responsible for 22% of all electric vehicle MOT failures, compared to just 12% for all fuel types. The DVSA data, obtained via a Freedom of Information request, showed electric vehicles have an MOT failure rate of 11.4% for three-year-old vehicles, which rises to 21.8% for six-year-old vehicles. At 11.2%, three-year-old hybrid vehicles are marginally less likely to fail, but six-year-old vehicles are some 29% less likely to fluff their MOT than EVs. Petrol vehicles have a failure rate of 10.7% after three years, meaning they're 6% more likely to pass than electric vehicles of the same age. On to other news, Auto Electro is encouraging motor factors to take advantage of a simple but effective tool if they are struggling to identify an alternator or starter motor by sending images of the parts to the rotating electric specialists on WhatsApp. On receipt of the messages, an expert will be able to help by identifying the part in question, along with answers to any questions the motor factor may have. The company advises the user to take a minimum of three photographs and the images need to be taken square on and include front, side and backs of the alternator or starter motor. Then, the individual should compose a message that includes business name, contact name and information related to the part, such as OE equipment number, application detail or engine manufacturer. The messages and images should be sent to 07972 804336. Electric vehicles are playing an important role as governments and communities aim to reduce harmful emissions and particulates on our road. EV is now discussed widely and the investment in increasing EV deployment is so great that every workshop is aware of the need to handle EVs. Because of this, Pico Technology has launched the PicoScope 4425A electric vehicle kit. It's designed to cover vehicle types and powertrains. It provides workshops with a future-proof system that handles vehicles incorporating high-voltage batteries and motor systems. This kit provides comprehensive diagnostics capability for all types of EV. In combination with the extensive range of Pico accessories, the 4425A covers engines and motors, sensors, actuators, communications buses, noise and vibration and harshness and all basic measurements in an easy to use system that includes extensive guidance for technicians. The PicoScope 4425A EV kit contains the test equipment required to ensure it is safe to work on an EV and to investigate any faults that are likely to cause safety issues. The PicoScope 4425A kits are available now from Pico Technology distributors worldwide and directly from www.picoauto.com. And finally, just a date for your diary. The next mechanic show for professional mechanics is set to take place on Tuesday the 8th and Wednesday the 9th of November 2022 at Sandown Park in Surrey. There's a free seminar programme and lots of new products to explore. To register attendance, go to www.mechanics.info. Exhibitors will include Varta, Deco, Continental and Autowave, among many others. We are delighted to announce that Hayley Pals and Tom Denton will be hosting the seminar stand, which will include brilliant and engaging talks from Neil Patamore, the IGA and Autotech. 
What's more, we'll be getting them all around the same table to have a chat about the latest issues facing the aftermarket. You can't miss it. And that's the news from PMM this month. Now, over to Kieran for this episode's feature on electrification and the future of mobility. It would seem the internal combustion engine's days are numbered. Soon, it will be joining the horse and the steam engine and the penny farthing in the great transport hub in the sky, each consigned to history for one reason or another. Each of these outdated modes of transport do, however, enjoy an afterlife, either in the hobbyist's workshop or out on the racetrack. Both of these could see fossil fuel-powered engines carry on for years. Now that's what our next guest, Andy Brook, reckons. I love talking to Andy because he's involved in the industry in lots of different ways, from EV training to hydrogen projects. He's level-headed about electrification because despite being a petrol head at heart and head, he's also a realist. Andy's advice to workshops is don't bury your heads in the sand. Be ready. Now, Before we join Andy, I am going to apologise in advance for some of the sound quality. Okay, let's go. Hi, I'm Andy Brook. Essentially, I'm an automotive engineer and a businessman. I've been actively involved with the automotive industry for the last, ooh, about 35, I believe. I've worked on EV projects. I've even worked on hydrogen projects over the last five to 10 years. You mentioned we're in the training academy, automotive training academy. Absolutely. This is a brand new facility up in North Wales of all places. So it's actually just on the English border on a very large industrial estate. We've built this facility specifically to do hybrid and EV IMI training levels one to four, four being the more sophisticated one. Is there a need for much EV training at the moment? Yes, there is. I think a lot of people are burying their heads in the sand. A lot of people don't like EVs. They don't like the thought of EVs. They don't like the thought of hybrids. I myself, massive petrol head. And when I say massive petrol head, I actually drive a dragster at Santa Pod. I've got a hill climb car. I sponsor a touring car. I'm hugely into it just to prove a point. But I realize that we have to accept these changes now and start to plan and look at the future of our workshops now and into the future. So your skin isn't crawling then surrounded by batteries? Absolutely not. So it's a real mixture of feelings for me. I think internal combustion engines, particularly petrol engines and other engines, are going to be more about motorsport, Mm. to be perfectly honest with you. And long may drag racing continue. Is this something that our listeners should be thinking about right now or just... Right now. Let's be perfectly honest with you. There's that many EV and hybrid vehicles being sold in Britain, particularly hybrids, actually, because people really bark on about battery electric vehicles, but there's more hybrids being sold. There's about 54% of hybrid vehicles out there last year being sold. So you need to be looking at those to ensure the future of your workshop. Battery electric vehicles are a slightly different matter, really. There's not so many being sold as people actually think. But also, there are still opportunities in there to repair battery electric vehicles, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit later. Absolutely. And just on a personal level, you did write an article for us in a recent issue of about how you learned to love EVs. Absolutely. How did that happen? How did you go? I decided several years ago that I hated them. I decided that I hated them because basically I went to my friend's kid's private school and all the people who used to have the Porsches and the Range Rovers suddenly had Teslas. So I decided I was absolutely going to hate Teslas, which I did for quite a long time, admittedly. And then I gradually realized that there is a future in this and I've really got to spread my wings and start to look at this future and start to look at 
the opportunity and actually how I can make money from this and how everybody in the automotive industry can start to make money from this. So I actually bought some EVs. So I bought a Nissan Leaf, which is actually sat behind us in bits on the lift now. And that's the first one we had, which was admittedly not the most exciting car in the world. But then we moved on through a progression of EVs and I started to learn about EVs and particularly hybrid vehicles and realized this is probably going to be the future. In fact, it will be the future because suddenly from driving V8 petrol cars, such as RS4s and RS6s and Porsches, I was actually driving cars locally that were not costing me any money. So I decided to give them a bit of a chance. So that's where I've gone with it. It's not all just about money. A lot of people, they like driving it. To be perfectly honest with you, the driving experience that you get from an EV and hybrid vehicle is incredibly different. The smoothness, the acceleration. So I ended up jumping from a B7 RS4 into a BMW i8. And the i8, one thing it'd leave the RS4 for dead. It doesn't sound quite as good. Got to admit, the V8 purple's not there, but it's certainly doing 70 mpg against the 17 mpg which I had. So saying that it's not all about money, we're currently sat in 2022 when fuel prices have gone absolutely through the roof. So it certainly is a little bit to do with money. <laughs> absolutely. And as we just we were talking earlier, I don't think anyone really could have foreseen the situation we're in absolutely. now. Absolutely. gas prices I always said to people that I thought that EVs and hybrid vehicles would be pushed in by legislation. And the reason I've always said that is actually, and not a lot of people seem to know this, but we're not running out of oil by any stretch of the imagination. In the Middle East, they say they've got at least 200 plus years worth of oil. So it's all about environmental impact. And as environmental impact moves on, I thought what was going to happen is we just put road tax through the roof on normal cars, on ice engine cars rather, normal I see them as normal. And they were going to just tax them out of the market. But actually, fuel prices are quite nicely doing that already. I know there is the legislation that says by 2030 <laughs> that full ICE vehicles are going to be sold. Do you think it, it will ultimately mostly come down to sort of price pressure and legislation? Or do you think there will ever be a kind of a wider shift that consumers just want? It seems to be moving to a wide shift already. I was talking to a friend of mine who works for a very large leasing company, and she was actually saying this, the consumer shift has already happened. It's literally happened. My money, hybrid, is where it's all going. And I've got many friends who are asking me about what new company car they should get. They're coming out of, say, a diesel Audi or a BM or something like that. And and I know they're actually being pushed by company car schemes towards, say, a BMW 330e estate or something like that, something a bit more hybrid, a bit more friendly, because the company simply just don't want to spend money on fuel either. And if you're getting an X amount of fuel allowance, you're going to make it stretch as far as you can. So it's already there. Yeah. It's already happened. Yeah, that makes sense. And I speak to garages quite a lot as well. Like, are you hearing from them at all that they... Are getting customers coming in they are but we seem to have two types of garages we do a lot with technical support and we seem to have two types we've got the bury the head in the sand type of garage which is i'm never having these evs and hybrids i'm going to retire before that happens kind of thing and then we've got the ones who are really forward thinking and we're saying okay how do i get i've got an opportunity here i'm going to do the training and i want further opportunities i want to learn how these things work and when you look at a hybrid vehicle it's a highly sophisticated bit of kit because you've got two systems running side by side you've got a normal ice engine which you need to service but on top of that you've got a battery pack which actually are serviceable on most vehicles even though a lot of people don't seem to know that but you can mm -hmm. if you've 
done your IMI level four, you can take your battery pack to bits and you can service it yourself. So there's a lot of opportunity in there for them. What people don't realise is that doing at least the level one to three, not that hard. Not no, hard. no, no. Level one to three, I would say, is more about safety and a basic understanding of electric vehicles. Yeah. It's how to safely disconnect and reconnect a vehicle. So you're not going to fry yourself in any way, shape or form. And it's more really to do with safety concerns. As I say, general understanding of how an electric vehicle or hybrid vehicle works. So which is your favourite to drive? Running around locally, I've got to say, you can't beat a full BEV. So that the Skoda running around locally is actually phenomenal. It's quiet, it's powerful, it's smooth. It just drives really well. Mm. However, if I'm going a distance, I'll always go in the i8 because the i8, don't have any range anxiety. Ah, the two words that we knew were going to come up at some point. Absolutely, range anxiety, yes, yes. How do you feel about that, Andy? Because when I well, hear that, it sounds like it's un- an unfounded anxiety. If you've got a Tesla, you're all right because you've got a charging point. The first time I actually took the down to Oxford, so Oxford's like about 150 miles there and 150 miles back. Unfortunately, half of the high kilowatt hour charging stations were shut on the way home. So it took me rather a long time to get back. If I'd had a Tesla, it would have been all right at that point, to be fair. But so yeah, range anxiety isn't quite unfounded in my opinion. You do get it. The fact is that if you're looking at alternatives, the real thing at the moment is, I think the government have overlooked a couple of things that a full internal combustion, small, lightweight vehicle with, say, a one-litre engine is probably very efficient. It's massively efficient these days. It'll do 70 mpg, and there's no need to get rid of those in 2030, I don't think. So maybe the way to have done it was to limit the size of the internal combustion engine rather than just saying, hey, we're going to get rid of full all-ice engine-only cars. Because say we did a one-litre ice engine non-plug-in hybrid vehicle, you're just looking around a load of batteries, really. So it's not the best solution in some ways. How about, I, I know the overall carbon offset, it might not really be a feasible kind of reason, but how about it, the local pollution? Absolutely. I think local pollution is a real key factor. I was listening to a study about, I think it was more really to do with major cities, but the, the amount of lung disease alone from diesel particulates, because unfortunately we were all sold diesel's the new god, yeah. And actually, the level of micro particulates. So, just to explain what I mean by that, so old diesels, you have blobs of smoke and diesel that just fell on the road. When you've got DPF filters with 10 micron pores, you suddenly get all these micro particulates flying around, which are actually even bloody worse for everybody. So, yeah, absolutely. Locally, EVs are definitely the answer, I'm afraid to say. Just knock, knocking around locally. Now, I just wanted to jump in here for a moment. I know Andy has worked on a number of hydrogen projects, so I'm taking the opportunity to find out how relevant it is for you, me, and the sector. Now, he's worked on hydrogen projects for a few years as a consultant, so he's the right guy to ask. Okay, we're heading back into the interview at the point where Andy is essentially explaining what hydrogen is. There's two types of hydrogen, really. So you've got hydrogen, which you burn in an ice engine. So that can help clean up pollution, particularly on diesel engines. You inject in a bit of hydrogen in, increases the burn temperature, and it makes them a lot cleaner, which is effectively what you're doing with AdBlue and exhaust after treatments, blah, blah, blah. The big problem with hydrogen is it's element number one. So it's literally hydrogen is the building blocks of absolutely everything. You can't really compress it that much. So you can't get much hydrogen into a tank to start off with. So you need a bloody big fuel tank for hydrogen. It also leaks very easily. Being element number one, again, it's very small and it leaks from anything. 
which is a problem. It just disappears. So if you were to fill a party balloon with it after a couple of days, it would just leak through the skin of the party balloon. But the biggest thing is, if you're then going to use it in a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle, it needs to be 99.9% pure. So to make pure hydrogen is quite difficult because you've got to have this water for purification and then you basically electrolyze the water to make hydrogen. Now, people are spending massive amounts of money to perfect this technology at the moment, but it's a long way off. And then you've got the whole thing. You've got to have big tanks to store it in and blah, blah, blah. The government are actually putting one of the projects which I was a little bit involved with is a hydrogen highway where they're putting in infrastructure on the M62. Or I think it was from Hollyhead, actually. I can't quite remember, but to try and get people using hydrogen vehicles. The other problem is there's not many hydrogen vehicles available at the moment anyway. Roughly how many are there? I think there's about 30 in the UK. So I think James May had one of us saw a program about him. And we've worked a little bit with some of the tech companies with the hydrogen side of it. So it's not actually very practical at the moment, hydrogen, unfortunately. Even with all that, the most sort of viable option would essentially just be an electric vehicle, but powered by yeah, so effectively what it does is that you put the hydrogen in, the fuel cell converts it to electricity, the electricity then goes into some kind of a storage battery, which would be the same size as a normal plug-in hybrid battery kind of thing. And then that obviously powers electric motors. Hydrogen, for the time being, not really. I think it's definitely the future. Governments have put money into mobile phone technology and governments need to be putting money into hydrogen technology, definitely, and battery tech as well. I know a lot of people see 2030 as being a fork in the road and you either go down yeah. battery or hydrogen, but you're saying actually you need to take the foot. I think you've got the synthetic fuels, you've got the hydrogen, you've got the battery tech. All I know at the moment is that the realistically best option for most people is still going to be some kind of hybrid vehicle, whatever that's powered by, whether it's powered by hydrogen or whether it's powered by petrol or whether it's powered by a synthetic fuel. That is really the route we're going to look at. And as the automotive industry, I don't think you need to decide, but you need to certainly train and be ready for these vehicles. Okay. I think people who already have, what's the word? Maybe have already pledged their allegiance whether it be to hydrogen or to EV or to hybrid, yeah, maybe they're going to take some convincing to change their mind. I think so, definitely. If you have an idea, you'll then live in our modern society in an echo chamber of that ideas where you'll go, everybody on my forum wants to do Tesla EV motors and blah, blah, blah. But actually, to be honest, I, I sit in that middle ground and that's why I work doing consultancy because I sit there and I look at the overview and I look at the entire market what's actually going on. What's really going on at the moment is there's no certainty either way. I'm not preaching any certainty either way, definitely, but some people will love their BEVs and continue to buy their Teslas, continue to buy whatever else. But in the realistic market, you have to sit down, you have to speak to people who are out there using the vehicles. And most of them at the moment seem to be buying hybrid. That's probably good news for you. It's exceptionally good news because suddenly you've got a machine which is now doubly complex to having a internal combustion engine and having an electric system on there. So you need to know about everything. And guess what? There's a lot to go wrong. Absolutely, God, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. There always is a lot to go wrong, but there's even more to go wrong now. Especially with your diagnostics hat on. Absolutely. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, it's all about the software. (laughs) It's all about the software these days. But I guess in terms of sort of your average garage down the road, hybrid is a bit more familiar 
Absolutely, yeah. Don't cure battery EV. Now, I know we mentioned earlier the kind of level four and what that yeah. enables you to do. Could you explain a little bit about that, essentially? So essentially, if you were up to level three, you'd be able to do some component changes on an electric vehicle. Obviously, you'd like to do a bit of training, have some data and information to back that up, but you would be able to do that. But with your level four, it gives you a more sophisticated level. So you can actually strip a battery pack, look at BMS, look at battery individual cell voltage and change those cells over, which would be a huge advantage if you wanted to do that. Because essentially, you could probably be a center point for your area to start to get EVs in, specialize and change batteries and rebuild battery packs. It's not as complicated as it sounds, to be fair. If you ever had a radio-controlled car as a kit, they're about as complicated as that. Once you've isolated the battery and took the pack apart, you've got to test the individual cells, find out which cells are faulty. And most of these cells are readily available, to be honest with you. A lot of them are on eBay. <laughs> so you just rebuild your Prius pack from eBay. Well, that is surprising because we all know that OEs are becoming more and more protective around Oh, God, absolutely. Issues. Yeah. So I think it will come as a lot of a surprise to a lot of listeners that you are allowed to, to work on these batteries. Yeah, absolutely. I've done many myself. You can die if you diagnose it correctly with a decent diagnostic tool, you're able to establish which cells are failing. Then if you isolate the car, remove the battery, and then the best thing to do then is to obviously to strip the battery pack apart and then actually test, recharge and discharge the cells. And then you can simply change those cells, which could be a battery pack could have 60 cells in it. You'll probably change about 10% of those maybe. So you probably put six new cells in it and lo and behold, suddenly you've got a decent battery pack again and off you go and the, the car's rejuvenated. But of course, it's not as cheap as maybe it's sounding. It's, it's, it's not, no. First of all, you've got to invest in the training. And then you've got to invest in some tooling and equipment. So for example, if you were to do your EVs level one to three, your basic equipment, a set of insulated tools, some rubber gloves and a decent multimeter, and then really barriers and things like that And in your workshop so you're fully following health and safety. That could cost you basically less than a grand. If you start to do battery, first of all, you need a clear floor lift and a decent battery lifting trolley underneath it as well. So you're probably looking at another seven grand on top of that to start to do batteries. But if you're you're going to do a lot lot of them... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The investment's worth it. And then you've got to pay for your training for your level four on top of that. But And also a decent diagnostic kit to do it. If you were the only center in your area doing that, that's fine. But everybody else, if they could do up to level three, because obviously, I don't know whether you know this actually, but we've got TechSafe coming in this country. So TechSafe is obviously a bit like gas safe where you need to have a certificate just to go near an EV or hybrid vehicle. If 54% of the vehicles that were sold last year, they were actually hybrid, you're going to have to have some kind of certificate before you can even work on what will be pretty much a standard car back in 2030. Without using your mathematical skills to the test, by what point do you think on the the UK car park will be majority EV? It depends on taxation, as I said before. If we say that with petrol prices where they are, I think it's gonna it's definitely accelerating at the moment. Anyway, probably looking at the majority by really by twenty thirty, I think the majority are gonna be out there. I think we're going to be having a bit of a struggle to buy a diesel car in the next few years. It's really manufacturers are pushing them out. I was actually looking through some of the marketing put up by Volkswagen the other day, and just no mention of diesel at all. It's like diesel never existed. <laughs> They're like gasoline direct injection, hybrid. Even. It's like, where's the diesel? Where's the-? the only thing you can find in diesel is a van. 
and even in the vans now, they're pushing these hybrid vans and, and the, yeah, and full EV vans and stuff like that. It's almost become a dirty word, diesel. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that actually, especially about the vans. That's, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Do you think within the next few years, most garages that will have to have at least one person trained? Definitely. Definitely. If you look at the Prius, not a lot of people seem to know this, but the Prius came out in 97. That's a 15-year-old, sorry, 25-year-old, can't do my maths, 25-year-old vehicle that's been around. And they've been around forever. Now, if you go down London and you'll see that a lot of the taxis are all Priuses. And I was recently over in California, Ubering my way around and every other vehicle literally was either a Tesla or a Prius. You get Tesla Prius and then an F-150 V8. What I would urge listeners to do is to have a look at the EV training. Don't bury your heads because it is really going to happen. There's nothing we can do about it. It's snowballing already. Okay, you heard Andy. I think that's pretty good advice. Having a trained technician as part of the team is better than turning away work. I would bet that many of you listening weren't aware that servicing EV batteries was even an option. I know I certainly wasn't. You can find out more about EV training and the various providers on our website. Okay, now I'm going to pass you over to my colleague and friend for the first instalment of the Professional Motor Factor segment. Take it away, Tom. Thanks, Kieran. Hi, everyone. I'm Tom Hemmond, the editor of PMM's publication, Professional Motor Factor. Naturally, there is some crossover in terms of topics within both publications. With both factors and garages in regular dialogue during the working day, we thought it only right that Kieran and I join forces and include a Motor Factor segment within this new and exciting podcast. So in each episode, I'll be sharing stories and updates from the motor factor side of the industry. And I start with a chat I recently had with GSF President and COO Mark Eburn, which you can also find in the September edition of PMF. With recruitment a key focus in the previous episode, as well as it remaining a hot topic in the industry, I asked Mark for his views on the subject. Whatever industry, whatever business you're in, recruiting good people is a challenge at the moment. There's no one that's finding it easy to recruit people at any level, and we employ over two and a half thousand people. So you get retirements, natural churn, expansions, businesses change. So we're constantly recruiting people. Our challenge is to find the right people in the first place and then have them want to stay. We find that once people have stayed with us at least a year, then they're much more likely to stay for the longer term. The challenge often is people that have recently started finding it's not quite right for them. And that's not unique to GSF. That's, again, another industry trend. So we are very focused on trying to recruit right in the first place and have them want to stay with us for the long term because we find that people with more experience are more stable and more loyal to the business, perform better in their role. So it's about attraction and retention. And we've done a lot with benefits and flexible working and trying to make GSF a place you'd want to work. The industry is not a leading industry for being creative at retention packages and benefits packages for people. So we've done a lot over recent years to make our packages more attractive. And I think there's still a long way to go for both existing and new staff to really set us aside from the rest of the industry. And that's where we'd like to try and be. As I said, you'll be able to read more of Mark's interview in the September edition of PMF, which, if one hasn't been put through letterbox already, is available at pmfmag.co.uk. If you don't receive a regular copy, get in touch with me at tom at pmfmag.co.uk. It's worth it, I promise. The current issue also features an Auto Mechanic of Frankfurt preview, which is probably taking place as you listen right now. After four years, it's great to have one of the great trade shows back on the calendar. If you're listening in Frankfurt right now, 
give me a nudge if I walk by. Let me know what you think of the show as well. That's all from me for this episode. I'll see you next time. Thanks, Tom. Well, that's all from episode four of the Professional Motor Mechanic podcast. You know, everybody talks about EVs and EV training, and yet sometimes it feels like the actual potential for new business that it offers independent workshops is kind of glossed over. That's why I thought it'd be great to catch up with Andy for this episode. And he's absolutely right that it's not an open and shut case when it comes to choosing the right technology for the future of this planet. But at the end of the day, the numbers don't lie. If there are EV and hybrid vehicles out there on the roads, they will need servicing and repair. So make sure you're in a position to capitalize on that. I can't believe it's been four episodes already. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, I suggest you do, and please do leave a review. It will help other technicians find us. Thanks to all our guests, Steve Jarnett, Andy Brook, and Mark Eburn. Thank you as always to the PMM team, especially Freya and our producer, Kirsty. You'll find links to all the companies we mentioned in our show notes, so please do go there for more information. Next episode, we're tackling a biggie in the aftermarket at the moment. I'm chatting to Neil Patamore about the need for independent workshops to access vehicle manufacturer data in an easy and affordable manner. See you next time. Bye-bye.